There's a difference between internal motivation and external motivation. Who we're going to choose to be. Be aware of what's happening. Letting the client know that you care. Without a good team, you're nothing. It still does boil down to service. When something's uncomfortable, that's what we need to look at the most. You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Alex Barrow-Springer. For your industry, by your industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Forest FM, episode 279. My name is Ronan Percival, and I'm the CEO and founder of Forest. And you might be wondering why I'm the host today and not Alex Belalspringer, our normal host. Well, Alex is actually with us. And the reason that I'm hosting is because this episode is all about Alex. And we've waited 279 episodes to actually do an episode on Alex. But many people have been asking over the years, and it's taken us to season eight to do it. Um, so I'm really excited about this and really excited about this whole episode, actually, because it's on a, an incredible topic. Um, but firstly, Alex, before we get into the actual podcast, you might just give us a little bit of background about why I'm hosting today and why you're in the interview chair. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Ronan. Um, it is a funny feeling to be in the interviewee chair <laughs> for once. But um, I guess the the reason why, well, first of all, I think that the podcast has always been about, you know, sharing and amplifying community voices. And it just never really felt right to me as a host to bring in a whole lot about myself into the show because I feel like it takes away from the guests. Um, and so I've kind of always refrained from doing that as much as possible. But I think, you know, there's there's just been a lot that's happened in my life in the past two and a half years, really. Um, and off the back of the keynote that I presented at the Salon Owner Summit when I reintroduced myself as Alex, um, I think it's like a, a good moment to take a moment. We've known each other for eight years. Um, so yeah, it just felt like the right time also after I had a an opportunity, I guess, to share what I wanted to share with people at first before flipping the roles like that and just like leaving leaving it to someone else to decide how I, I guess, tell my story. Um, mm. And now it just felt more right. And we were chatting about this um, just before the after party. And yeah. I was like, you know what? Yeah, this feels right. Let's do it. So, so to give a bit of background, uh, like you, you mentioned there, this talk at the San Loner Summit. So you went up on stage as Zoe Belalspringer and you came off the stage as Alex <laughs> Belalspringer, which is an incredible moment in for anybody in their life. Um, it almost feels like, you know, next to being born or something like that. It was like sort of a moment yeah. like that. And it really felt like that kind of moment to everybody in the room. Um, people were, were deeply, deeply moved. And so um, the, the point of this episode is us get to talk about some of those themes and things like that, right? And um, mm-hmm. So we're we're going to listen to 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 a lot of that stuff and chat about it, um, but just to kind of give people a bit of sense of of that talk, um, you like as we said, people people were really like it really had a, a deep effect on people, and and uh, mm-hmm. there's a couple of like just for pe- if, if people are listening to this and and they're going the okay yeah, so you might say that about lots of things, but this is kind of some <laughs> of the feedback that. Uh, that that uh, that I heard personally, and uh, like Stacy Sobel, who who many people listening to the, to the podcast will know um, from Modern Salon and stuff like that. But she said, it, you know, she's been to, I mean, it must be like a thousand events 
in this industry in the last 30, 40 years. She said it was the best yeah. talk she'd ever seen. Um, so that's uh, that's sort of mic drop. I don't know if we can say much <laughs> much much more than that, but but I know like what, what, there was one piece of uh, thing, and I didn't actually tell you this because there was lots of uh, lovely things that I had mentioned to you. But uh, our our former chairman um, Pat, who who was the chair for us for like nearly t- eleven years, actually in the end, mm-hmm. uh, and a, a big driving force in the business. And he he's a uh, it's interesting because he's like uh, you know he's in his in his mid seventies and is it very, you know, a typical Irish guy from, from, uh, he's grown up in Ireland and stuff like that. And he was just completely blown away. It was like something he'd never experienced before Mm. a different part of culture that he just wouldn't have any interaction with. And he was just like, I am, I'm going out in the golf course next week and I'm going to be telling people about this. They need to know, (laughs) they need to understand this. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they have these, these kind of, um, They've, they've cliched uh, ideas in their head without actually experiencing it themselves. And they have these kind of mm-hmm. prejudices and things like that. And it just shattered for him totally. So, and I, you, you must've had some pretty cool feedback to say the least. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, it's still coming in, um, which is, you know, still very, it feels very, um, heartwarming, I guess, or yeah. it, it just feels like, yeah, I, I guess like, the I, I felt like coming off stage, I felt like I had received a massive hug from like 600 people at once, which is mm. probably not something that a lot of people have experienced in their lives. Mm. Um, but it's very, very powerful. It really, when I said uh, on stage, you know, I'm, I'm at some, at the very start, I, I said, it, let us, let this be like a learning experience for everyone, including me. I'm letting myself be perceived mm. and learning to live through that. And that moment at the end was uh, a moment of of like feeling extremely perceived. Um, but I think that that's what deep down touches people and what happened after and still continues to happen is that people have been coming to me, sharing their personal stories, their personal experiences, um, sharing, you know, about their, some of their family members, um, living through trans experiences as well and how they're going to, you know, change their approach or, you know, how they're going to interact with them in a way that it it feels more freeing for the other person or feels maybe more comfortable. Um, Some people have shared with me their own stories of coming out in terms of like their sexuality or, um, Mm. you know, different things that they're doing in the salon and why they've started doing it like years before or, you know, but it's, it was interesting to see, I think because I have like so many different, I I touched on so many different little parts of my life that are, you know, massive, I guess, like when you, when you put it together, they're all parts of my identity. But, um, because I touched on all of those different things, I think a lot of people had a chance to relate to, you know, at least one small thing here and there. And once you tap into that kind of like empathy and feeling like you know the person feeling like you can connect to the person telling you their experience it's a whole lot more easier to then yourself feel safe enough to share as well and mm-hmm. um and I think that that's what really happened and transpired and it's still coming through on social mm-hmm. media you know like I'm still mm-hmm. responding to people and having chats you know of people telling me you know um, this this person that I interviewed on Forest FM last year messaged me even just off my LinkedIn post. Didn't even see the talk, um, yeah. 
but was like, thank you so much for the LinkedIn post. That was really powerful. And, you know, to see you show up the way that you show up, um, you know, you inspire me to push through the discomfort. And I just, I just find that's, you know, that's beautiful, I guess. And, um, it's hard to like wrap your head around, like being able to have such an impact, but yeah. Mm. It's, it's, and cause that one, one of the things, and actually just before we go into that, cause, um, cause I know what I was going to talk about and I'll talk about in a minute is just obviously, um, you're an introvert. And so yeah. going up on stage and sort of sharing your whole life with everyone with like 10 people is probably scare the life <laughs> out of you and to do it in front of 600. So we could talk a little bit about that as well. Cause I, I thought that was really interesting cause it's such a personal, deep personal moment. Um, mm-hmm. to share that. Um, but just before, before we get that, just cause there will be people who won't have heard the story. Um, yeah. can you just tell us, tell us the story and uh, without like jumping over things, but just give us a little sense of it. So people who are listening to this first time know a little bit about what's happened. Yeah, sure. Um, well, it's, it's hard to know like how far back to go, I guess, but to, to give a, a broad sense or an idea, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just never really felt growing up like I fit in anywhere mm-hmm. and I was desperately trying to fit in somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I just, I feel like I've been, you know, searching and yearning for community and uh, belonging ever since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And when I look at like the different marginalized identities that I, that I hold, you know, like I was, I am biracial, but I was never really part of, you know, Mm. I couldn't really relate to like my blackness and like the black community um, until like much, much further into my adulthood. Um, Mm. But I really also never felt like, I could 100% relate to say like the white kids because I had other Mm. experiences through my Mm. family, like my close family, my dad's side. Mm. Um, And me coming out as trans came also later in, in, in my more like in my adulthood. But Mm. I also think that like, that was also very present. I always felt very different from people. Mm. um, And I couldn't really figure out why. And for the longest time I was just, you know, kind of either labeled myself or people labeled me a tomboy and that was Mm. you know all I knew also (laughs) Um, because I had no there was no representation for like people who felt the same way as me Um, out of interest Alex yeah did you actually when someone said oh you're a tomboy did you tell yourself oh I'm a tomboy or did you kind of know no it's more than that like it's (sighs) at the time I didn't well I didn't have the language to know that it was more than that you know but so I kind of just rolled with it because I was like Mm. well I guess I am you know like that's kind of the only thing that I can like see Mm. myself represented as um so I rolled with it um and then you know in a little past high school I think it was like 17 um I came out as well at at the time I didn't come out as queer I came out I came out as bi Mm. um now I identify way more with the the queer kind of umbrella, but uh, yeah, at the time I came out as bi, and once again that that I I was like, oh, maybe I'll find like community through that because I'm now surrounded by a group of people who are queer, um, mm. so it should be you know something that like we find common ground in. But even at that, the response that I got at the time was like bisexuality isn't a thing um it doesn't exist uh or you know like you're just kind of like you just haven't figured it out yet and people just kind of insisted in 
labeling me a lesbian. And I mean, I kind of, yeah, once again, the same as the tomboy thing, you know, mm. like I just kind of rolled with it because I was, I, I would get like frustrated at trying to explain that, no, I was actually bi. Um, mm. And I think, you know, looking back, I never really identified with the lesbian label because I didn't identify with my gender that was assigned at birth. So to me, it just didn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, so I was, I, you know, I, I didn't find community there either. And I, I, it actually pushed me away from the LGBTQ community at the time because I just didn't feel mm. accepted or seen in that either. So trying to move through all of those different things and like trying to figure out why can't I feel like I belong anywhere and... The, the the more I started uncovering and like unmasking, learning about, you know, the fact that I have OCD or that, you know, mm. I'm just navigating the world differently. My brain thinks differently to a lot mm. of people. Um, but the more I started to accept that and to, the more I, I found the people who would also see that, like in my mm. neurodivergence, for instance, it felt um, more comfortable and like, slowly but surely I was able to you know connect the dots and now it just feels like all way more aligned and I feel feel like a massive amount of weight have just like mm. lifted off my shoulders you know my mom tells me now like yeah you look so much more comfortable like people who haven't seen me in so long will tell me mm. you look so much more relaxed and like so much happier it's great feeling and everyone should feel that way so it's it's amazing it's it's amazing that you've got there because uh, not everyone gets there anyway from all walks of life so yeah it's it's a brilliant it's brilliant that that's happened and it so you you then like just to bring it back to forest for a little bit because you you mm -hmm. we you know we met you or i met you eight years ago and at that point you were sort of like were you mid-20s or something like that or what, what age were you there early yeah 20s it was mid-20s i was 25 at the time yeah 25 and so these feeling the way you're describing yourself there that's how you felt when you came to Dublin, right? You were still, you were, you weren't really connected into any, or the way I understood it, you weren't, you weren't connected into any community really at that point. You were still searching for, definitely. searching for something. Definitely still searching. And also the year that I moved to Dublin, I had just lost my uh, father to a car accident the year before. So I was still mm. very much grieving. Um, and so I think at that time, I also was feeling very lost in the grieving space. And, yeah. you know, anyone who's been through that can probably relate as well. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a hard space to be in. It's, it's hard. And you, and you, you like, I, out of interest, did you, was the move to Dublin kind of, to just would you've done that anyway because you know you were young and you wanted to go out and see the world or was that triggered by trying to get away from something or um or is there a bit of both but neither of those i probably wouldn't have done it if it hadn't been for that accident um mm. and for the simple reason that i was in an established you know sound recording sound engineering career at the time and I'd been there for five years in the same studio and um I I think you know had that not happened I would have probably tried to stick around longer you know further my career in that space um but when when things like that just kind of land you don't know what's you know, you don't like you, you start questioning everything, essentially. You question like, how are you going to move forward? Is this the right thing? What what am mm. I doing? And I had a lot of great friends who were super supportive. My family was super supportive. Like I had 
everything around me to help me move through that. But I, it just, I just, I was stuck. I, I just couldn't, mm. I just couldn't really move through it. And I was like, you know what, why I've been wanting, I, I, at the time I remember feeling like I've been wanting to like leave Montreal for like six months maybe or something and just like experience mm. what life abroad is because a lot of people in Quebec anyways would do that. Um, I just didn't do that because I went straight from CGEP to a one-year tech uh, technical kind of degree for the sound engineering thing and started working at mm. 20. <laughs> so I, I was just like, if I'm if I'm going to make a move, this is probably the right time to do it. And then I was looking at to, you know, where, where am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? I had no connections in Dublin at the time. I, you know, didn't have an apartment. I yeah. didn't know anyone. I didn't know a forest. I didn't have that plan, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So you, you only applied for the job after you got here, did you? Yeah. Because you didn't, you didn't have it before. All right. That's, no. I, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. So. I only had, yeah. when I landed yeah. in Dublin on Jan 16 of 2016, um, mm. I, had a working holiday visa, two nights booked in a hostel and two backpacks. And that was it. And one, like, I didn't even have a flight back. I didn't know how long I was going to stay. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. So, so you, so you, la- you lasted three years in the end in Dublin. Two years. Yeah. I did the, years, the full two year yeah. ho- working holiday visa. Yeah. yeah. And you guys kindly so offered did. the sponsorship, which I really still very much appreciate. Mm. Well, it, it worked out really well. I remember us being yeah. like, oh no, because we, we didn't want to lose you. And, um, but it's actually worked out like, well, obviously amazing for you personally, but worked out great for us because we, we started moving more into the States and yeah. North America and Canada and, having you actually there has actually been a really good link. It's been great. So yeah. it's probably worked out better. Um, and now everyone's so so you went, you went back. remotely anyways. Yeah, I know, exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you, 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 went, you went back to Montreal, yeah. and at that point in your, did, had you progressed at all, like in your thinking in those couple of years, or were you, you still really searching for something and it, and it happened while you were home, or what um, happened? I think I was still... You know, I, I, I still, to, to give the, be, the, the, the better, like, visual image, I guess, like, I, I was still mm. walking with my, my, my shoulders hunched forward, you know, like, just trying to, yeah. just not comfortable in my own body, um, not, I had definitely gained a lot of confidence and experience and, you know, knowing that I could move through not having anything planned in a completely different country, not having any friends there mm. and stuff, I was like, oh, okay, like, I'm actually way more tough than I thought I was. Um, but I still, you know, it was nice to come back to Montreal, but even coming back was, it, it was really, really hard. I just didn't feel, um, I didn't tell anyone that I was coming back um, and when mm. for, and either announced that I was back in Montreal until I think three months in to being back home. Um, I didn't know there was only like a few friends that knew like the closest closest friends that knew and then obviously my mom my brother um, but that was about it um, because I didn't know if I would be able to feel like Montreal was home anymore I didn't know if I would be able to like having been away for two years not even having visited anyone in two years I was like I don't Mm. know that Dublin feels like the place where I can stay forever, but I also yeah. don't know moving back to Montreal after two years of like not being there at all, that Montreal is going to feel like home. And I don't know that I have, 
aside from that, that like very small select amount of friends, I don't know that I have like a community mm. here anymore at all. Um, mm. So I was still definitely searching. Um, but I think, you know, the fact that I had like still had very, very close friends within Forest was mm. super helpful because we were still in touch through, you know, the day to day and work and stuff. So mm. that was really, really helpful. Um, but, you know, coming out as trans came even further, like way further out than that. I, I went through burnout before, <laughs> yeah. um, before coming to that, you know, uh, 2018 when I came back was a year, like you said, we, we were going into the, mm. the States a lot more and I, I was traveling a lot, a lot more than I had ever been. And definitely the first time mm. that I was traveling a lot for work and, uh, I, have like if I have just a lot like very high standards for myself you know this about me obviously mm. um and yeah. I and I just <laughs> and I I just wanted to you know perform at the best that I knew that I could um without mm. considering how much energy and or capacity that I had and so mm. I kind of ran myself into the ground by the end of that year. Um, and, and and so so just so like at what at what point did this journey? Like I know the journey is your life, yeah. obviously, and it all makes it. But w when did this this part of the journey start, if you could call it that? Like when did you start going? Okay, was it like just slowly dawning you over a few years, or did yeah. it? Or I know the feelings were always there. Obviously, you just didn't know how to articulate them and stuff, right? Yeah. So, but like you, what's the like is yeah where where would you say the point of of this particular part kind of started for you so i think the first time that i wondered would i feel more comfortable if i was born another gender i think i was 17 mm. or 18 um but again like at the time there was i knew no one with that experience at all so i didn't really think it was even yeah. a possibility or like how that would look like or whatnot so i kind of just brushed it off pushed it down again and i was like no surely i'm fine i'm just i just need to like you know mm. feel better about myself be more confident it'll be fine um mm. the next time that it kind of came up was actually when i was in dublin i don't know how it happened but i started following a lot more and seeing a lot more trans people trans men um, on Instagram and I started following their accounts and I remember feeling a lot of happiness for them and seeing how like mm. happy and free they f like they seemed to me um, mm. but also a lot of envy and I didn't really know what to make of that either <laughs> I guess I was like why am I feeling so envious but it just didn't like I yeah. wasn't able to connect the dots at the time and I developed relationships you know friendships with those people online um some of them anyways and still talk to them today but uh I came out as trans I guess in it was in 2021 uh to my mm. partner Lisa um one morning and that had been I had been doing like therapy work around gender exploration and all that kind of stuff for probably a year ish prior. Um, so I, I'd been thinking yeah. about it for like a, a good amount of time, like more seriously and considering things more seriously because I had one morning a conversation with a very close friend of mine and it kind of shook yeah. me and in, in the right ways. And she didn't think it was going to, she didn't think like the questions that she asked me were going to lead to that necessarily. Um, 
it was the 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 right questions I think at the right time in my life, and that made me realize, okay, let's yeah. let's look into this deeper. Let's like try to figure out what's happening here, and like what how how am I feeling really, um, and what do I, like how do I want to move forward essentially. And then you know had more chats with different people. Um, I shared on stage, you know, I did that like. I gave myself therapy homework where I asked, I was like, I wrote myself five questions around perception and finding out the gaps between mm. how I perceived myself and how other people's perceived me. Um, and then mm. handpicked a few um, people in my life who had a very wide range of like knowing me. So whether they were super close mm. for years or had just briefly met me, there was like a range of that and asked them those mm. five questions as well and see where was the, where were the, where were those gaps? And, uh, one of the, one of the people that I asked was someone who I had developed a bond with through the podcast. Um, mm. she's a salon owner in, uh, Illinois, Kat Phillips. And we actually just had a, a really nice, moment last week where we connected over the the keynote and I told her about it and mm. all of that and I think all of the there was a, so many people in that like from 2020-ish to 2021 when I came out that had a different impact mm. on you know different things sometimes it was just like me hanging out with a group of friends and then seeing someone who was um also transitioning and being like oh wow that's actually like way more accessible than I thought it was and oh it's happening in Quebec in Montreal like I is that wait how does mm. that work like how do you how do you go about that in Montreal and then just like starting to mm. and just having the support of like the unwavering support of my partner that was huge um because mm. she, she's yeah, always you, seen you me. spoke a little bit yeah you, you you spoke a little bit about that and you you seem to have an incredible bond with her and the videos and stuff yeah. that you showed on stage it looked amazing yeah but uh, it and it, from what i gather you say the second you said that she just knew straight away so she was just yeah she with you from she hugged me second and yeah, yeah. um you know it was i just felt like so accepted right there and then mm. and i didn't have to explain anything um i knew she was gonna be there to support however way whatever way i mm. wanted to go about it because you know i chose to medically transition with top surgery and hormones, but not everyone decides mm. to do that. And it doesn't make anyone less trans for that. Um, I, that was just mm. the road that I knew I needed to take to feel, to, to feel the way that I wanted to feel essentially. And, and to reflect how I felt inside for so long. And, um, yeah, she was there every step of the way. <laughs> it was, yeah. I'm very, very grateful. And can you share a little bit about, um, what what it's like like how long it takes and 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 what what's what's involved because i think for a lot of people they don't really mm. know or understand and i think it would be um be ha really helpful for them to hear if, you, if you're happy to do that but yeah sure um i i mean obviously it depends on where you live um yeah. different experiences everywhere um in canada we well canada and quebec more specifically um uh, what was required of me here in Montreal was uh, to, well, first of all, I, I, I had done like a lot of like background work and, and yeah. just being in therapy and talking about it. So when I approached my, my uh, family doctor and I told him about it, um, he was also super accepting and, and that I, I'm very, very grateful for because it doesn't, you know, I don't always have the best experiences with doctors in mm -hmm. general, but he's been very supportive. Um, with it all. And so he, 
he was like, oh, amazing. You've done so much like, you know, background work. Obviously, I know that you're like just by hearing the way you're talking about this, I know that how serious you are about it and like mm. how much you've considered all the different, you know, mm. aspects. Um, let me refer you or write you like a, a request for a referral for an endocrinologist. Mm. Um, and that was like for the horm- hormones part of things. Um and so I got on the list there and you never really know how long it's going to take. Um, there's a huge wait list. Um, I think mm. I waited in the end about six to eight months ish, which was wow. kind of short, yeah. all things considered, but you know, it's it can't seem time. out long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I know some people wait for longer even. So, you know, I, yeah. I was pr- pretty lucky all things considered. Um, and simultaneously I, uh, started attending um it, there, there there was a there's an organization here called Aide aux Trans du Québec so mm. like support for trans people in Quebec and I started attending those like Tuesday night meetings and just support groups and just mm. hearing about other people's experiences and that helped me realize oh these are the steps that I need to take to like you know move forward with say mm. top surgery and I, I learned oh okay this is the clinic that I need to reach out to because it's the one that is covered by health insurance in Quebec yeah. um, I know that in the states a lot of people unfortunately have to you know even if it's covered by insurance like private insurance they still have to pay out of pocket like a good amount of money mm. um i was you know i'm super lucky to be in this system where i my surgery was entirely covered wow um mm. yeah and uh and then in terms of what was requested for that was uh just like medical evaluation by my family doctor um a letter of reference from a psychologist or sex therapist or anyone like in that, that realm that could Mm. evaluate essentially like my state of mind. If I had support around me, financial support is my work supportive. It was Mm. like, can you, can you afford to do this? And how, yeah. How long? So after the surgery, so if you're, you're a month totally out of it, are you sort of, you're just lying there just trying to get your, get back together. Are you, are you, yeah. In terms of two weeks for sure. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, for for most people, um, I think for me, that that, to be honest, time, that doesn't seem that long for such a huge thing. I mean, it no. seems like two weeks. Like, yeah, I, I was even thinking it's, you it's, might say two to three months. So, yeah. you know, until you're back to normal. I mean, two mm. weeks was like you know laying down in bed, not really being able to do anything, mm. um, going for max, max, max fifteen minute walks. Yeah, um, feeling tired all the time. The next two weeks were, I felt a bit more active. I was able to do a bit more, um, but you know, I'm still very restricted movement-wise. I can I couldn't really lift my hands up high yeah. at all. Um, and you're for the first month, you're not, um, you can't lift anything more than ten pounds. Uh-huh. Um, so you know, it limits you for a lot of things, so, like even just grocery shopping. <laughs> l- lucky, lucky you had a supportive partner, basically. I yeah, imagine. exactly. To be first requirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone. But, uh, well, yeah. They actually, like, you're not allowed to leave the clinic without anyone there. You are requested to have someone accompany you and then come back with you from the clinic. Um, and they highly recommend having someone someone with you for at least 
at very least the first like week um, yeah. because you're pretty much wiped by all the meds and just mobility restrictions and mm. you have drains and you're just yeah you're just in pain and uncomfortable and it's mm. just not a great time yeah. <laughs> but so, so you a, so you yeah. so like you you kind of if i just think of the sort of timeline for you it's like it's also yeah. probably for other people who might be having thoughts of this way to understand it like you you kind of like it, you were you were probably thinking about it for a year or two with therapy and different things. So you got to the point where you could tell your partner, "Look, I'm trans," um, and then from that point, you have to, like, by the time you get to the point where you're like, "Right, I'm going to have surgery," it's another at least eight or nine months, or possibly longer, before you actually get booked in and things like that. And so, w- yeah, w- when when you got to the point though, when you knew and you had it booked, and it was like. Did you know it was going to be eight or nine months away? Or are you kind of like, I'm on a waiting list and you're going to find out at some point you're just going to be told there, we've got a day yeah. for you next week or next month. Is it that how it was? Or did you know it was going to be eight months? Well, I was kind of in the weird, like period of COVID was still happening. So yeah. there was, and there's a lot of people actually coming from different provinces in Canada that come to Quebec to that clinic and also from the States apparently. Mm. Um, but because of COVID, uh, the, there they had, I guess, a lot of cancellations and people just, you know, not being super mm. comfortable with COVID being around and, you know, potentially being exposed in that yeah. kind of like facility. Um, so I, the, the waiting list got reduced quite a bit during that time. So once again, I kind of like got lucky in a way. Um, a lot of people that I know would have, you know, waited sometimes a year and more. Um, I think I was on the list for about six months before I got a date. The thing I find really interesting about this, Alex, is kind of like, if you knew then at that point, you knew what you wanted to do and it was booked in, but it was Mm -hmm. six to eight months away. And like, how, what was that like? Cause up to, you know, like, hmm. you know, you want it done, you, you want it done tomorrow, yeah. right? Like you, you've decided you've gone through a huge journey to get here. Like, and then you have to wait eight months. Was that difficult eight months or were you just knowing it was coming pretty positive about it? How did you feel? Um, I guess it depended on the days, you know, some days the dysphoria was worse. Um, and then other days I was able to just be like, well, you know, what's another six months when the rest of my life is going to be so drastically different. Um, And, you know, same with uh, like I have like hip dysphoria and I knew that one of the things that happens when you go on hormones is that your fat redistributes in a different way because it readjusts to like the, the, like how male bodies store fat essentially. So I knew that that was going to happen, but once again, I didn't really start hormones for, for a little while. So um, it was, yeah, there, it really depended on the days, but overall, I think, you know, I, I was hopeful, I mm. guess. And just before, sort of one last thing on this for me would just be like, is you, you obviously have the surgery and you recover from that, but you start taking mm-hmm. the hormones afterwards. So is there a, a time when this is all sort of taken has happened or is it something that just will keep changing over many years? Funnily enough, I actually, I mean, it's definitely not been the experience for everyone, um, but mm. I kind of, it happened all at once. So I started hormones, yeah. I want to say, I think it was two weeks before I got surgery officially. Um, and 
it just happened to, to to line up. Everything just kind of like I got the call back from the endocrinologist and I got the call mm. back from the clinic and it was just like, oh, here are your appointments. Then they just kind of lined up at the same time. It could have been very, very mm. different. But it yeah, that's how it happened for me. And and you know what? It was a it was a lot to handle all at once. I was like, oh, I kind yeah. of wished it was like, you know, one at a time, but you know, I'm not I'm not in control of that. So um, I, you know, I took my time with it. I got the prescription from the endocrinologist and I still waited. I think I got the appointment in February and I waited almost a mm. month before actually redeeming it at the pharmacy. Mm. I was like, wait, mm, I don't know. It feels like a lot, you know, to, to process. Um, yeah. but you know, like surgery's done. Um, I still, I need, I need to work on mobility. Obviously like overhead mobility is still very much an issue. Um, it's not that bad, but it's still very much something that I haven't on, you know, top of mind. Um, and then the hormones, Mm. I started off microdosing and now I'm on a full dose for over a year. Mm. Um, but if you want all of the effects, essentially, you have to keep taking it for the rest of your life. Um, you can stop some effects will reverse, um, however, mm. um, including like the fat redistribution for one, um, there are certain, you know, things that mm. won't reverse back, um, like facial yeah. hair, for instance, I don't have that much still, but you know, it's still, it's still more present yeah. than it was, you know, a year ago. Um, mm. so yeah, like there, there are certain things that will like come back if I stop and that's not something that I'm into. So mm. I don't see, I'm not saying never, Cause you never know yeah, what happens. And like know. some yeah. people, you know, we're seeing people in the States lose access to that kind of care. So like I, yeah. th- it is something that is a bit like, you know, you kind of have at the back of your head, you're like, okay, well, Canada, yes, is very liberal and mm. progressive, but like, we also do follow suit on a lot of stuff that the U S does. So like, is that mm. something that I'll be, be able to access my entire life? I don't know. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's it's something like yeah you are who you are and then you can't that the government might take that away from you down the line or just that fear yeah. it, as you say is right now it doesn't seem like it's likely in Canada but people have to worry about that that's something that mm-hmm. you know I never have to worry about that my you know I'll never have to worry about that and that's the kind yeah. of thing uh, it's so interesting to to open people's minds to and and on on that point I think that's kind of that leads us really nicely into um, uh, some of the other kind of themes that you talked about uh, in the talk that that um that I found incredibly interesting and, and, and as did everyone else um, but one of them was um we I think we've talked quite a bit about acceptance you, you've mm-hmm. talked a bit about acceptance because there's sort of four themes that really jumped out at me from the, from the talk and we were chatting about them just before before we started the podcast and, and the four were acceptance ethnicity diversity and gender and I think the Acceptance one, you've talked quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you probably look, I'm sure we could do a whole podcast on that topic <laughs> yeah. alone, but like you've talked a bit about that. But I think the ethnicity one, you, you talked uh, quite a bit. It was, I found that really interesting. Um, yeah, was there anything more you, you or you'd like to share about that or some of your experiences around that? Um, um, yeah, I mean, you know, like in life in general, I, I feel like I've because I've been. Obviously, I'm I'm quite light skin, and so a lot of people mm. wouldn't even assume that I had a black dad. Um, mm. But there is still a lot of like the culture that I have from that side of the family that you know I, I just you wouldn't have if uh, or like an understanding if you weren't born into that really. So it, it, yeah, like it's it's interesting to kind of navigate that. Um, obviously, like I said, because I'm light skinned I have 
had like passing privilege a lot mm. throughout my life um, and haven't really run into issues in that way. But I guess like when you think about salons, um, mm. like my hair is super textured. And for the longest time when I had long hair growing up, <clears throat> I had to really find someone who knew what they were doing with my texture mm. and my ha- the volume that I had in my hair because one wrong cut would could like make me look absolutely foolish for like over a month, you know? Um, And it it was, you know, so I stuck with the same hairdresser for a very, very long time. And, you know, he's a friend of the family and stuff, but Mm. yeah, that's, that's the challenge. And I know from talking to other people, um, there, there was a good friend of mine, Christopher Aaron, who who said who shared with me on the podcast a couple of years ago. He was like, you know, when I was growing up, I had to. No one in my neighborhood knew how to cut my hair or cut, you know, cut textured mm. hair. I had to, I had to travel to a different neighborhood, a different like neighboring city, to be able to get my hair done, and that is just, you know, it, it just shouldn't happen. Like. I'm sure he wasn't the only one in that city to do that, you know. No, and, but it, yeah. and it's so sad for me to hear that. And but I also relate, and I and I get mm. it. And uh, when you think about your Alex now, and mm-hmm. and who you were before, or how you felt before, is Montreal? It sounds like Montreal is a really good place. There's a lot of people there. There's a really good community that you feel part of now. That mm-hmm. you in the way that you didn't before as much when you were describing that you know why you left uh, to go yeah. and and come to Dublin things like that is is that is that a community that was there you just didn't see it or is it growing is it is it has it changed over the last ten years That's a great question. Um, I think I I think it probably was there, um, but because I didn't see myself or wasn't able to love the parts of myself that I was hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, then how how can you expect anyone to like you know see you and 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 love those parts for you you know like mm. um i think i had to do that work that inward work on me to figure out mm. how i wanted to be in the world and what was what felt authentic to me before mm. i could find the people who would actually be or yeah. feel like you know oh we're on the same page here um mm. i think you know, there, there's a lot of the community that I've found that is also still very much online. You know, I have a bunch mm. of trans people that I am friends with that we connect over Instagram because we're like spread across, you know, the US and Canada mm. in general and, and sometimes even in Europe. And that's been really nice. Or like the, um, <clears throat> I'm part of like this gym kind of like workout community also, um, just from the programs, the, the gym workouts that I do, uh, that mm. uh, has also been super accepting and and a really, really safe, nice place to be in. Um, so it's not necessarily all in Montreal, but I mm. think I've just found who I connect with in general and that like makes it possible to have a network a bit mm. everywhere, essentially, mm. which is really nice. But yeah, definitely found more in Montreal as well. And and Alex, you 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 obviously talked about how you feel much happier in yourself and yeah, more comfortable. Where you saying people are saying to you, you know, you you look so much relaxed, you look happy, you look content. Content sounds is sort of the way it, it sort of describe it. And is there anything else that you're finding different about yourself? 
apart from those feeling general feelings of happiness or I think I am much more I think I operate much more on a I I guess I'm not seeking external validation as much as I was before. Um mm. I think I am able to tap into you know, what does my body need right now? What do I need right now? And like, how do I want to show up? You know, like if I'm going to an event or whatever it is, you know, if I'm getting, if I need to like dress up in a certain way, I'm not going to dress up in, I remember like in the past, like thinking, okay, how do I have to like dress in the way that feels kind of comfortable to me, but also that fits like what people mm. are expecting to see of me. Now I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to wear what makes me feel the most confident. And mm. I know that I can like do it within these guidelines of like, I don't know, casual dress or dress wear or whatnot. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it's like really rooted in like me and how I perceive myself and how, how I want to, mm. you know, look um, at myself. So I think a lot, and and just like even taking taking time to rest or, you know, not overextending myself constantly. I still fall into it. Like we all do. Um, yeah. but <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm much more aware and I don't really, I very rarely feel like that, that like FOMO kind of feeling. Like I'm like, mm. if I don't feel like I need to be there or do that, like I, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> like yeah. it's, and I'm, and I'm very like, confidently like fine with it you know like i mm. if i need a if i need a night to rest i'm gonna take the night to rest just uh, happy with who you are yeah just which is i think all humans are searching for that in some mm. point in their life right so it's ama amazing that you you have that feeling um those feelings so strong now i so i i we're, we're, we've actually I think we're nearly an hour now recording, right? So we, we, and <laughs> technically we're not, yeah, sorry, we're not supposed to go on this long, but I'm sure, I'm sure uh, everyone is really enjoying it. But before, but we should kind of go on to the the last part that we wanted mm -hmm. to get to, because this is obviously a podcast for salon owners and, and, and people who work in the salon industry, right? So um, you, you talked like because it was a salon owner summit, you 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 yeah. you weaved in all that into into the talk, which was which was great. But I think if there was a takeaway for people who are salon owners or working in salons, and they're, um, because I heard this at the event as well. Like uh, the uh, one of our oldest clients, um, Foundation in in Dublin, um, and he mm -hmm. he was like again just like everyone, like really impressed and blown away by the talk, and was like, yeah, I'm gonna go back to the salon and sort of. Change, change some of the things that we're doing and how we're talking about things and how we're how we do our staff meetings even and everything um so you you could you yeah is, is if you were and I, I hate to sort of box this into like three things you know like that you would that every salon owner should think about in terms of the salon but in terms yeah. of making it more welcoming for for trans people but is there yeah well can you give me three or whatever number but is there sort of mm. a couple of things there that 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 immediately jump out. Yeah, I guess I'll preface it with just like one of the stats that I shared at the summit where um, it was, it came from a, a Deloitte report um, called mm -hmm. Uncovering Culture, a Call to Action for Leaders. Um, they did a survey, uh, this is in the US, but they did a survey 10 years ago and redid kind of the same similar survey um, this 
past year in 2023, and they saw that despite the increased attention paid to issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion over the past 10 years, a decade after the release of Deloitte's initial research, 60% of U.S. workers still report covering at work in the last 12 months. And so... I don't know that, you know, what I identify as like the top three things will necessarily relate to every single salon or maybe you're Mm. already doing one of those things, you know, and you need an extra, Mm. you know, extra ideas. There are so many. Um, But I guess like one of the best questions that I could leave people with um, before like identifying Mm. three things would be what is one way, and I asked these this question at the summit. What is one way or one type of pressure that your salon or spa might be unknowingly imposing on your staff or clients to minimize their identities? Mm. Because I think that if you think about it that way, you'll be Mm. a lot more able to identify like what are the areas that are, Mm. you know, maybe maybe that you can look into more in your salon specifically because some salons out there that are listening will have been mm. you know have been gender affirming for a very long time or maybe have like g- uh, genderless kind of like pricing mm. or uh, gender neutral pricing um mm. <clears throat> so i guess like yeah there's you can think about you know do you have is your salon um limited in your expertise and working with different you know, diverse hair or skin types, mm. um, that, that might be something that you want to look into. Um, mm. because not only doing it for clients, but also like making it part of something that you, uh, value will mm. also make your staff feel like they belong more, you know, if, if they mm. see themselves be represented in the, in what you're offering to clients. Um, mm. do you have gender neutral prices, services, products, um, restrooms? Mm. Do you have, um, maybe, things that make it more possible for people to access your space, um, mm. say, you know, in terms of neurodivergence, but also disability wise, you know, um, accessible ramps, you know, counter height, mm. all that kind of stuff, but also neurodiversity wise, sensory issue wise, you know, mm. there's a lot of sound in a salon mm. or in a spa, mm. not as much, but in, in a, in a salon, obviously, you know, like it's the clippers, noisy. the, yeah, yeah it's mm. super noisy. <clears throat> People chat all the time. There's music playing. Mm. Um, do you have an extra room maybe that can be mm. tailored or, you know, that you could help people with sensory issues to just go into that room where you can maybe have an appointment that doesn't have music or Mm. um, that is way more like sensory friendly. Um, Mm. That room can also be, you know, multi-purpose. Like chances are that you'll have a client one day who comes in and maybe you've been seeing that client for years and years and years and they tell you like, you know, I'm, I'm going through a rough time. I got a cancer diagnosis and, you know, I'm starting chemotherapy. Like mm. maybe they want maybe a space a bit more private to be able to talk to you about it and to have that treatment in a more private space that could mm. you know, I just think there's like different things when you think, when you center marginalized, um, identities and experiences as part of like how you operate, mm. you will, you know, feel way more welcoming to, the vast majority of people essentially, because mm. it shouldn't, it's, it's not like an accommodation. It's just, you know, being aware mm. that these are experiences that people have and what you have in terms of your perspective. Like I said, uh, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I don't have all the perspectives either. Um, and, mm. but I, I think that like, if you are making that conscious, like 
move towards like awareness and just trying to understand different experiences and people's, um, you know, backgrounds and mm. and sensitivities or triggers or whatnot, um, it can make your space a lot more inclusive and and welcoming. And what one of the one of the things you said, which I found really interesting, because this was a new concept to me. Um, and I know it won't be for everyone, but I, I, I know there's, a, there's certainly some people listening who, who is, is this idea of covering. I found that so interesting. And um, that kind of triggered for me loads of thoughts mm. in Forest and how we present our communication or talk about our employees and things like that. It was just like, it was, it was a real light bulb moment for me. But can you just ex- explain for those people, yeah, what is covering and and I think that's really helpful then linking, okay, so now we start to think about how people might be covering in the salon or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess there's, there's like four main ways um, mm. that people typically cover. Um, covering is, the definition is ways in which individuals downplay known disfavored identities to blend into the mainstream. Mm. Um it's said to, you know, happen regardless of the identity, no matter what the environment is, and sometimes by proxy. And by proxy, I mean like, um, with the examples that I'll give, like the four kind of like ways that people mm. typically cover. Um, first of all, there's appearance based, so altering the way that you present. You know, maybe someone. Maybe, you know, someone who uses a cane to assist with their mobility might not bring it to the first appointment in the salon to avoid drawing attention to themselves, mm. you know, yeah, um, yeah. advocacy based would be not defending or promoting the interests of one's group. So, um, yeah. someone in the salon or the, the workplace says, you know, a quote unquote joke that is kind of offensive. Um, mm. well, maybe they won't feel like they can speak up and say something. Um, and they, yeah. and the reason why they're not doing it is because they want to avoid being seen as difficult. Mm. Um, affiliation based, so minimizing behaviors linked to one's identity uh, to negate stereotypes. So you know, I might um, or people. I don't do it personally. I'm pretty open mm. about it. But you know, a staff member might be avoiding talking about their neurodivergence. Um, I know that it happens a lot with. Um, people who have had a ADHD diagnosis, you know, they mm. tend to not want to disclose that because they fear that uh, saying that that is something that they navigate is, um, mm. will signal, I guess, you know, uh, maybe a, a slightly different ability to work and how is that going to impact your work? And like, are you, you mm. know, it, there's, we have a lot of stereotypes associated to certain, you know, specific mm. identities. And, um, and then the last one is association based. So avoiding contact with other group members, which, you know, I, um, I think I did a lot in, in different ways, not necessarily in the salon, but let's take the example of a client who might not correct you about like their pronouns, um, or might not use gender neutral terms to describe a partner. Um, because if it's a new salon or spa professional and they don't feel quite safe yet, mm. um, they don't want to draw attention to their sexual orientation, for instance, you Mm. know, in in fear of like, okay, how's that going to be perceived? And like, you know, um, so it's just, yeah, it's just ways that people minimize known Mm. disfavored identities, I guess. Um, Mm. and that, yeah, it it can happen like in, in, when I said like by proxy, it can also happen like if, um, 
you know, if I'm, I'm, if I'm a good friend of someone who's, you know, like I hear like a, mm. an, an offensive remark or joke or whatnot and joke, mm. and I say, quote unquote, um, like I, I might not speak up because, oh, I don't want to like draw attention to me either. That's like by proxy covering mm. also, you know? Um, yeah. but yeah, like it, it's, and it's tricky, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a lifelong kind of work and, um, it's something that has to be super yeah, intentional. Because people want to fit in. It's like it's a human nature to fit yeah. in, right, in a group. Like, so you, you, you don't want to be the odd one out. You don't want to be, yeah, you don't want to make. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you naturally, you, you do it without thinking. And it requires a lot of psychological safety from both, like mm. a, a mutual psychological safety, like in, in terms of like, is the business that you're in or working for, uh, you know, aware of this and are they working intentionally to minimize mm. this happening and do you you know are there ways that you or that they they make you feel safe to be able to talk about these different things or your identities and mm. show up more authentically and then like are you also doing the work on your side you know it can't like are you need mm. like if you need something to be able to to speak up more are you asking for those things you know are you keeping yourself accountable to like also mm. uphold that like psychological safety between the two parties i think yeah and i think i think it, it, like as you say i think the interesting point about this is it's it's an ongoing thing it's not it's not something mm -hmm. you're going to like fix by doing a few things it's a it's a sort of state of mind isn't it and it's yeah and it can only come from just thinking about it and and trying to to make sure that it's not happening um either you yourself or you're you know you're seeing people saying things or doing things that mm -hmm. um and trying to trying to think all the time or, or remind yourself of that. So I, th yeah. I think that that's a, like, there's definitely, I know in my, in our own workplace in forest and, you know, I probably, hopefully, you, you know, we consider forest a fairly progressive place to work, but I'm sure definitely. when you were there, but I'm sure at the same time, when you were there, I'm sure there was lots of things said and done. And when people were in the office, uh, cause we're remote now, but you know, I'm sure there was time said, mm. I'm just trying to think back. Like there was lots of banter about different things and, was all of that, but there was probably times when some of that banter people were covering regarding, you know, whether it was to do with this kind yeah. of topic or more like anything really, you know? So I think, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it, I find that really interesting. Um, so I think also the, the really cool thing about it though, is that the more, and I think leaders have like a great, and leaders not necessarily like, it doesn't have to be, you know, a certain position in the, in the company, but just like as a, as mm. an energy, like a, an energy kind of like leadership, um, the more those people can uncover and show example, lead by example in that sense, um, the more it helps other people feel more safe to do that as well. You mm. know, I think that's kind of like what we saw happen at the summit, um, mm. with me being like open and vulnerable and like sharing authentically, like, okay, this is, this is, <laughs> this is who I am. Mm. See me for who I am. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of like what helps people be like, oh, okay, you're, you're doing, it's kind of like when you set, when you set a boundary, right? Like if you have like wishy-washy boundaries, boundaries and you you meet or hang out with someone who has like very strong boundaries it kind of like gives you that sense of like mm. oh I can set boundaries too like this makes mm. me feel like I'm allowed to do it you know it's uh yeah it's it's fascinating and everything we've talked about uh, I, I had a load of questions I didn't even get to ask because I, I I was gonna I'm fascinated by by so much of this because anything it, it's it 
so much of it is really interesting to understand. And uh, I could ask way too many questions to, to even dig in. So <laughs> one day we can have a second part two someday and we can dig into it. But I'll, um, so, uh, but thank, thanks so much, Alex, for, for sharing all of this. Um, we, I, I, the speech was so good and the talk was so good. Um, you need to do this talk mm. many more times. And, uh, I don't know if, if, if that, if you're, if you're thinking of going into the speaking business, because as we mentioned at the very start of this, you are an introvert, <laughs> um, and you, you, you know, you find it, you find it scary to, to, uh, to talk in front of uh, lots of different people and things like that. So, um, but you showed a real talent, like real talent, because it, it wasn't just moving, but it was delivered in incredible way. Like mm. um, your Thank stage you. presence was amazing. Um, like the, you know, the obviously all the work that had gone into the videos and everything like that. It was so really beautifully choreographed the whole thing. So it's uh, we feel really privileged that you gave that talk for the first time uh, in Forest. I mean, at, at the Forest Summit, we, we were we were really lucky. To, to have something like that and show it but you should definitely yeah i hope i hope you uh you 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 do go and tell it because i think when you look at how many people came out of that talk and we mentioned a few there who have gone on and that's the impact you will have to people that you've never even met um mm -hmm. i think if you were to give that talk more times you're going to have even more impact so yeah anyway yeah i mean i do you definitely think you will? Yeah, I think I, th I think I de well, I definitely want to bring this talk on on you know and bring it mm. on the road wherever it mm. you know lands me. Um, but yeah, like it, it was, I I wouldn't have seen myself do it anywhere else in terms of the first place than mm. the summit. Um, I'm I feel very very grateful and also privileged to have had that opportunity. So thank you. Um, and yeah, I mean we'll see we'll see how you know where where it leads. Yeah. But I'm I'm hoping that. I'm hoping that yeah. it, it gets heard more mm. and um, that people resonate with it, keep mm. uh, continue to resonate with it, and that like it instills mm. real change. You know, not just like a momentarily mm. like, oh yeah, we'll do this for a month and then. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the, the, hope. the, the Yeah. Well, um, Alex, I thank you very much for sharing your story. Next week, you're or <laughs> whenever the next episode is, <laughs> you're back in. You're back in my chair, and. Um, I, I found that quite nerve wracking even just to do the last hour. So fair play. Well, um, fair play to for, you. For doing two, two, <laughs> two, 279 episodes. Um, thank you very much, Alex. Um, if there's anything, is there any sort of places uh, like your 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 um, Instagram handle or things like that where if people want to get in touch with you, if there's anybody that kind of connects with, with uh, anything that we've talked about here, wh where would you like them to go? Um, well, obviously, you know, any, anywhere like forest related is always a, a good place to start. Mm. But if you want to connect with me like directly and maybe like you, you have something like mm. private to share, um, my Instagram, a dot B E L spring is a good place. Um, I'll obviously have it in the show notes and, and all that, but yeah, mm. um, those would be kind of like the main places, I guess. Mm. Well, thanks again, Alex and over Thank and you. out. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much, Ronan. It's been a really pleasant and safe kind of like space and time with you. So really appreciate it. Thank you. 
And so that is how season eight kicks off, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed these last 60 minutes. Uh, Ronan alluded to a part two. I don't know when or if that'll ever happen. But, um, you know, don't hesitate to ever, you know, reach out to me uh, through through DMs on Instagram or uh, if you're subscribed to the newsletter to reply to the newsletters. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you're looking for the links and resources mentioned throughout the episode, check out the show notes and or head over to forest.com forward slash FM. Also, Forest FM is built on recommendations and shout outs from the community. It's how we uncover hidden gems. So if you or someone you know has a story from the salon floor, worth sharing, please go ahead and DM me. You can find me on Instagram at a.belspring. Oh, and I almost forgot. Don't forget to check out the bonus episode very much linked to this current episode that you're listening to. It's with Shauna O'Halloran and I answer a quick fire round of questions from her. So I guess if you're curious to know what else I've been asked, you'll just have to listen to find out. The Forest FM newsletter is something pretty new. I mean, it's been rebooted a few times, but this year in its current format, it is uh, very, very new. Um, and I'm hoping that with all of its imperfections, it can help you uh, and I connect in a, in a different way, I guess, in a way that people have been seeking through these conversations on Forest FM and be something that we can explore together and uh, keep, you know, tweaking as we go. Um, because I would love to uh, keep the show about our wonderful guests. So the Forest FM newsletter goes out every Monday and it's the number one place for any and all exclusive content and announcements. Finally, if you've enjoyed this episode, there are a few ways you can support the podcast and really make a difference. Number one, you can send the episode to a friend or share it on social media and tag us. Number two, if you're listening to this on Spotify, leave a comment in the Q&A section of the episode. Number three, you can always leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And number four, feedback is always appreciated. Send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Forest FM episodes air weekly sharing inspiring stories from the salon floor and amplifying community voices all over the globe. In your salon, we're at the heart of it. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments.